Welcome to Sharp Waves, a podcast from the International League Against Epilepsy. Our episodes cover epilepsy research, clinical care, career development, and issues in diagnosis and treatment from around the globe. My name is Mary Sacco. I am the chair of global outreach for an international organization called the IBE, or the International Bureau for Epilepsy. The IBE developed an advocate's toolkit for reducing epilepsy stigma in Africa. The resources, ideas, and guidance came from people with epilepsy and their families. We use this participatory approach because I really believe that if you want to know about stigma, you ask people who are stigmatized. Yeah. What are, why are you stigmatized? If you had, you know, if you could change anything, how would you change it? And the ideas are out there. We need to give people with epilepsy the courage and the tools so that they can now try to challenge stigmas. Dr. Bruna Nucera spoke with Mary about what stigma is, how it affects the lives of people with epilepsy, and what can be done to eliminate it. Uh, What do we mean by health-related stigma? And what are the three bold classification of stigma? That's a very good question. So health-related stigma happens when a person with a health condition like epilepsy or HIV AIDS or depression, it's judged unfairly simply because of their medical condition. So in epilepsy, it can cause the person with epilepsy to feel rejected or excluded or devalued or treated unfairly because they are perceived by the community and other people as being different or unworthy. And stigma itself causes discrimination. And that's the real problem here. And how can we define stigma in epilepsy? So defining stigma in epilepsy, we look at the root cause. So there are three classifications. So as an example, There's internalized stigma, which is also known as felt stigma. And this type of stigma is when the person with epilepsy themselves um, self-stigmatizes. So as an example, if a person with epilepsy says, I would never be able to go on a date because I have epilepsy. So that would be self-stigma or internalized stigma. Another classification is interpersonal stigma. And that often happens with the family members, and they either stigmatize or are stigmatized. And an example of that would be if a mother said, my child can't go to school because they have epilepsy, or I'm keeping them home from school because I don't want them to go on the field trip because they have epilepsy. And then the third big type of stigma that impacts people with epilepsy is institutional. And it can either be enacted through laws or punitive because laws don't exist. So for example, if there are punitive laws that don't protect people, for instance, in Africa, we are finding some countries make it legal to divorce someone if they have epilepsy. And this becomes the grounds for divorce, even if epilepsy wasn't the problem. In other countries, we're seeing there's no, there's a lifelong driving ban. And for instance, in the Caribbean nations, and this becomes discriminatory legislation. We developed an advocate's toolkit for reducing epilepsy stigma in Africa. And the timing was perfect because of the passing of the WHO Intersectoral Global Action Plan on Epilepsy and Other Neurological Disorders, so what we call the IGAP. So in the IGAP, there are some global goals related to improving 
health outcomes for people with epilepsy. One of the global goals talks about more access to treatment and another talks about changing discriminatory legislation. So the IGAP made this the right time, but more importantly, the approach for the toolkit was to recognize that we need to empower people with epilepsy because they are the best champions to reduce epilepsy stigma because they live with it on a day-to-day basis. So the IGAP was the impetus looking at the challenges that people face in Africa because of epilepsy stigma became the place that we decided to do our first project. And it'll be part of what we call the IB Academy, which is going to be a knowledge hub. And this knowledge hub is to give people with epilepsy around the world the tools to become community leaders. One of the things I think is really important that is in the toolkit is that we talk about the importance of disclosure. If you live with epilepsy, and we want to give you the courage and the tools to tell people you live with epilepsy. Because when we keep this a hidden disability or a condition, then governments can continue to discriminate because they can say, nobody really has this condition or it doesn't matter to my constituents. Healthcare providers can say, well, I'm not allocating a budget to epilepsy. It's not a big deal. But if people with epilepsy stand up and say, it is a big deal, it affects me and my family, then we can start seeing stigma being dismantled. How can we work on the belief that epilepsy is contagious disease or that epilepsy patients are possessed by a demon? Yeah, so those two, uh, those two concepts came out strongly in the African toolkit because we began with focus groups of people living with epilepsy. And we said, what are the biggest misconceptions in your community that you believe perpetuate stigma? And they said, people in our community believe someone with epilepsy is contagious. And when they're contagious, um, they don't want to touch them during a seizure or they don't want to help them during a seizure because the last thing somebody in the community wants is to catch it from them. So um, you can see right there, that's very culturally based. The other big challenge with epilepsy um, in the African focus groups was that people believe that the person who has seizures is demon possessed or bewitched. So I'm going to go back to my original, my thought a minute minute ago. People with epilepsy have to stand up. They have to tell others that it affects them and their family because the credibility is in them being members of their community and their community already know they're not bewitched or demon possessed, but they have to make that connection. They have to say that we need people to be spokespersons for epilepsy in their communities in Africa, especially in rural communities explaining to people that I'm not bewitched, this is a brain condition. And when I have a sudden burst of electrical energy in the brain, it causes me to fall to the ground. It has nothing to do with being bewitched or nothing to do with demons. And on the other hand, what can we do at the level of epilepsy patient care, in particular regarding the traditional medicine in the community? Yeah, this was an interesting conversation in the focus groups. Two things were interesting. The first was actually the biomedical healthcare provider often stigmatized. And what we were hearing from some of our um, participants in the focus group was they know what to tell you, but they still treat you differently as if you are something like lesser or not normal. And so we need to be working on healthcare providers. But the other thing that came out strongly in our focus groups is exactly what you just asked about. 
So the various health providers really need to find a way to collaborate despite their differences in beliefs because people with epilepsy don't perceive them to be mutually exclusive and they prefer to consult traditional healers and biomedical practitioners simultaneously. And so what we need to find is how we can give them a proper diagnosis and a treatment plan, which would be likely the biomedical one, but also how can we work with traditional healers for some of that psychosocial care? Because they do that very well. And what we heard is that traditional healers don't stigmatize. They see this on a day-to-day basis. So there's a real comfort level for someone from Africa to approach them first. And that's what came out in the focus groups. They kept saying, it's our first port of call. It's where we go first. So we need to respect that. If that's the care pathway that's already established. So we need to respect that care pathway. And if anyone needs to compromise, it's biomedical practitioners understanding how to work within the system that already takes place. And that was, you know, really insightful to me as a community educator, because that you do have to go where people are looking for their help. And you can't assume that you'll build a big structure called a hospital and everyone will come. They may or may not come. So what the focus group was saying is that we find it very comfortable to go to our traditional healers. We would like you now to work with them. There's some good models, too, in other conditions, uh, TB, HIV, AIDS, of working together. And it would be really something special if we could do some demonstration projects to see how we could work in partnership. with. It's a really interesting point that I never think before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. the traditional healer is the first port of call. So to say, well, that's not the way we do it is actually hurting people with epilepsy. They need to go where they go first. And we need to, as people who are champions for epilepsy that want to see the best care possible, say, how can we work with you now? How can we make this a system that gets better health for your person that comes to you with seizures, better uh, outcomes? And as you said before, education plays a crucial role in this topic. What can be done at school level? Yeah, education is extremely important because it um, gives people facts. But education doesn't always change our behavior or our attitudes. So what we are advising is targeted education. So if... um, And because we were looking for behavior change. So we've got to go beyond providing just education to looking at the root cause of the problem. And in many cases, there can be multiple root causes. So you mentioned school. Is the root cause that the parent is withdrawing their child because they don't think the child's going to be safe? Is the root cause that the child with epilepsy refuses to go because they don't want to be teased or bullied? Is the root cause that the school board is making it legal to not teach those kids? So they're all different. If the school board has a law that you can't go to school if you have epilepsy, we've got to fight them through legislation and and very differently. If it's a parent withdrawing their child, we have to work with the parent. If it's a teacher not feeling comfortable, we have to help them feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. And what became really clear in these focus groups is it's not a one size fits all solution. Yes, education is involved in all of those, but if the teacher in the classroom thinks the child is bewitched, Why would they want that child in their classroom? It's looking at all of the ways that we can target that problem. It always involves information, right? But it also involves looking at the root causes for that individual who is perpetuating the stigma. 
And uh, about employment-related stigma, what yeah. are the tips to reduce this kind of stigma? Yeah, employment-related stigma is very problematic because even in higher-income countries where we have laws that protect people with epilepsy, we are, we still find people not um, succeeding at work or not getting jobs. So in a higher-income country like Canada where you are protected, we coach individuals on when to disclose, how to disclose, if they should disclose at all. But people will tell us that even when we have laws, sometimes it's covert. So you'll find somebody saying, you know, I have applied for five jobs, told them all I had epilepsy and I didn't get them. I think they're judging me and stigmatizing me because of my epilepsy. Now, off to Africa where we did our focus groups and there are no laws to protect people. And that became very problematic. So if you have a seizure at work, you can lose your job and there's no recourse. So that's where as advocates and as the IBE community, in partnership with the ILAE, we need to be saying you need protection to support the workers that have a job so that you can't be fired if you leave work because you've had a seizure. It's a really big, important problem, right? It takes the dignity away from someone that can't provide work and, and income for their family. And in many places, it leads to poverty and hopelessness. And so this is something that we need to be looking at um, as a community. Women with epilepsy uh, represent an even more stigmatized subgroup. In this case, for this subgroup of patients, what action could we take? Yeah, this is a very big uh, priority of the IBE, and I think it's a global problem. So it is very culturally based. So women in cultures where there's arranged marriages or women in cultures where the role of the woman is to have the children and provide for the needs of the family, oftentimes if that person has epilepsy, she can be disqualified from those roles. And by disqualifying her, um, she does not have a lot of options within the community. So if she's not eligible to marry, if she's not perceived as a, someone that could be a good mother, if she's not perceived as someone that can provide care, food, and nurturing to the family, then what we're seeing is some lower and middle-income countries that have very strong cultural beliefs around marriage is that the women are being banished and ostracized from their communities. And this leads to poverty. This leads to, there was a really good study by Gretchen Burbeck in Zambia of higher rates of rape in women with epilepsy versus those with other chronic conditions. It's a really big problem. And I think because it's so big, we need to partner with large agencies like UN Women who also have a mandate to... Um, promote health equity for women around the world. So I think we need to really look at partnerships when it comes to women, because uh, women who are ostracized from their community are very vulnerable. They live in poverty and in very dire circumstances. And this became very clear when we looked at the data and talked to the group from Africa, that probably one of the most penalized groups was women with epilepsy. Very few African countries actually have health laws to protect people with epilepsy. And, and more discouraging, those that did often didn't enforce the laws. So they would sign declarations, they would sign, they ratified laws, but they didn't actually put them in place. But what we can learn from this um, is important. So knowing this, it's critical and goes back to why we developed the toolkit. 
we need to be on top of our governments, um, be very proactive when we look at implementation of the IGAP, because governments can say they're going to do something. And we know 194 countries unanimously endorse the IGAP, but they may or may not do anything at all. So it's up to us as people who care about the outcomes for people with epilepsy to look at how we can continue to keep it on the radar of policymakers, how we can continue to make media know that we're working towards this problem, how we can continue to go to governments and say, hey, what have you done? You said you were going to look at your legislation. Have you done it? So the toolkit from IBE's perspective was, again, a tool to empower people with epilepsy to ask those important questions. So to know they have the right to good health, they have the right to be included in their community, and that their government signed on and said this is important. So it's to keep them on top of this. What is the role of social media to communicate a message about epilepsy and stigma? So thank you. Words do matter. The words we choose to use matter. If you look at the toolkit, we learned from a Brazilian study that when we call people epileptics, people stigmatize them more than if they were a person-first approach, like person with epilepsy. So I think we have to think about the words we use. And social media is good for us because it gives us an opportunity to increase general awareness, to share factual information, to counter misinformation. And we better we should be doing that better. So if somebody has said something really ignorant about somebody with epilepsy, we should be challenging that right away. And we don't. So we have to be careful that we use social media for positive and call out social media when it's not factual or when it's negative. Social media can help us to get public support by highlighting this issue. And social media is a really good tool for targeting youth because it's their first place to look for health-related information. So I think we have to use it as a tool and be mindful of the fact that when used well and the information is accurate, it's a great tool. But we have to be challenging when we see misinformation perpetuated by social media. There's a lot to do to reduce stigma and epilepsy. Thanks for listening to Sharp Waves. Our content is meant for informational purposes only and not as medical or clinical advice. The International League Against Epilepsy is the world's preeminent association of health professionals and scientists working toward a world where no person's life is limited by epilepsy. Find more Sharp Waves episodes wherever you get your podcasts or at ilae.org.